Ellen on politics. Together we'll stand. Hello and welcome again to Alan on Politics. This is our second episode with our guest, Marco Dondi, who recently published a book, Outgrowing Capitalism, that we talked about in our last episode, how you could fund not only a universal basic income with permanent money, that is money that doesn't have to be repaid, but also how you could uh, address a number of other social problems. So hello once again, Marco. Hello, Alan, again. I laugh because we, we haven't really interrupted our conversation at all since the last episode. Uh, modern monetary theory. Now, this is a proposal that's come up in recent years is getting some growing attention. And the general idea, as I take it, is that um, government could take on more debt in order to fund socially useful programs. And here, think of Bernie Sanders in the United States. What he would like to do, you know, is have universal health care and fund college, free college for people, a number of other uh, climate change programs, uh, getting people to work to address climate issues. All these things are going to cost money. And essentially what they're saying is the government could take on more debt because as long as there are resources available, that is workers who need jobs and natural resources, insufficient supply. We could be doing a lot more than we are. And it's our fear of government debt that's holding us back. Now you're saying something very different. What you're saying is that we could address those same issues and fund those kind of programs, but do it without necessarily taking on a lot more debt by the government, right? Um, yes, but I think that the modern monetary theory would have a similar view actually, in the sense that uh, I don't think, uh, from what I've read, they're a fan of the word government debt, right? In the sense that their main proposition is government, at least the ones that are, have their own central bank and their own currency, being the currency issuer, actually, you should not call that debt. They are just, uh, um, you know, they own that. They can print as much as they want, right? The reason why they create a construct which is called public debt is actually to give people the opportunity to purchase that asset, which is a bond, and gives a return on it. So in that sense, I would say their view on how to fund some of these uh, priorities is actually quite similar to mine in, in the sense that it's uh, ultimately the money comes and can come from the central bank. Um, the, the, there is probably a, a, a nuance uh, in, in the sense that are, um, what they say is, as long as you have resources available, uh, you can do that. Um, and, and I say, to some extent, uh, it's arguable whether uh, two things. One, there's many economists that would say to modern monetary, modern, uh, modern theory, fine if you, if you have not enough resources, but ultimately, the more you let the public sector use those restores their real resources, mobilizing those through debt or through new printed money. You are, what they, the term they use is crowding out private investments, right? Like uh, those resources won't be available for, uh, for uh, real, um, for, not for real, but for 
allegedly commercial, better commercial enterprises. Yeah, yeah. Commercial enterprises, which allegedly are always of, of better, like, you know, more efficient, uh, they're more useful and better, right? Because they're so always that, looking to make money, which means they're giving people things they want. Yeah, exactly. So, so in that sense, uh, I, I would say the eco traditional economist, if you want, versus MMT is MMT is saying, uh, well, if there's a slack in the market, like uh, the resources, you're not the market is not utilizing, the private sector is not utilizing these resources, workers are unemployed, why not giving them a job? And so they have this program of, you know, the federal job guarantee, which is if people are unemployed, I always can give them a job, right? I pay them, this money can come from uh, the, the central bank directly, or if you want to, you know, stay in the construct of debt, like you can issue a bond, raise the money and, and pay these workers. Uh, and you know better than them sitting sitting around and, and not producing anything, right? Like so, that, I think that's the view versus traditional economists saying, well, that's still going to create uh, uh, you know uh, issues with uh, these people will be employed in in that sense, like in, in those activities. There's going to be attrition to move them to new activities from the private sector. So ultimately, you're crowding out some, some investments and even some funds, some mentioned that otherwise the private sector would be using. So in that sense, I think there is a, the argument there for me, which, which hasn't been covered is, is the private sector necessarily always using real resources for a better use and value to society than what alternative uses uh, that maybe the government would, would uh, uh, incentivize. It doesn't need to you know, be the one that operationalize the projects, but you know, I could see definitely governments incentivizing the private sector to work on, for example, things to fight climate change, where the government would need to put the money, but then this, this money and the incentive would go to the private sector. Uh, as opposed to, if you look at what the market today, like most of the, the growth in many of the companies are in those producing goods and services for the affluent or, you know, anyone like, you know, money is like wealth is getting so concentrated that the only segments that can afford and, and can enable growth are the affluence and the millionaires and the billionaires, right? And so you're basically like, you're at a point in which you're, you're not really saying it's public versus private, which is a typical narrative. You know, if, if there's too much public, there's too little private. To me is, you're either letting the private companies mobilize resources to satisfy the needs to whoever can afford to pay, which in a very unequal society is relatively few, as opposed to say the government can strategically mobilize some incentives for always the private sector, but to do things there, uh, where, where the value is not satisfied the need of someone that can pay, the government is paying. So you're satisfying some higher societal goal, which in the case of climate change are, are fighting climate change, right? So if you want, the slight difference is, I actually think that even if there is uh, indeed some resources being taken away from whatever the market would have directed to, I think there's, there might be still value to do so because uh, it doesn't seem like uh, you, you might have some priorities that are just more important than having the affluent segment have a, you know, a better watch or, or a fancier car. Or a spaceship. Or a spaceship, yeah.
take a ride on a spaceship. That's a good use of social resources. <laughs> I guess they make an argument for why it would be that we could get minerals from the moon or something. Um, this is this is something I really don't understand very well. Is the the total amount of money in the system has to be uh, managed in some way, and it seems to me that when money is created and it's as a loan, so it has to be paid back. There's a mechanism not only for putting money into the system through issuing loans by commercial banks, but for taking it out of the system when people are paying back those loans over time. So there's both an outflow and an inflow. Of course, the outflow is always greater than the inflow, and that's why new money is always being created. But with permanent money, um, there's, there's the outflow of the money, but not the inflow in the sense that businesses or people are paying back loans. So wouldn't the permanent money be creating new money even faster because it's not being withdrawn from the system in the same way? Uh, it, it always depends on a, it's imagine there's, there's a lake and you have multiple you know, streams and channels. So indeed, if you say I add a new stream, uh, which, which uh, then, you know, and, and there's no other stream that comes out on the other side of the lake, right? Um, it's, it's like you might create, you know, the level of the lake rising, then of course, like uh, ultimately it will, it will flow out faster on, on the other side. But uh, this to say, if, if you create a stream and, and you constrain another, uh, you're not really increasing the overall level, right? So in that sense, it's always about what's the total inflow. If, 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 I, if, I, if you want, um, at any point in time, don't allow the whole overall uh, you know, level to raise, central banks are actually mandated to do that, right? And, and this is, uh, it's just that the way that they do it today is to say, I'm, I'm not gonna, unless there's really exceptional situation, I'm not gonna create my own stream, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the banks create their own stream and decide how much they let in and how much they open the tap to let water out and, and repay. And they influence that through interest rates, right? Like, uh, you know, the more interest rates are higher, uh, the more it is difficult for banks to create new loans because they need to convince people to pay a higher interest rate, right? So, so it's, this is the mechanism in which central banks kind of manage. I'm imagining a dam and yeah. as the dam gets too high, you got to let some of the water out. So interest rates are a way. <laughs> okay, help me out here with this metaphor. <laughs> uh, so, so if you see the central bank as a dam, basically, uh -huh. uh, you basically, like in that sense, you would want to have a, re a relatively regular outlet uh, at the bottom, right? And so you're saying, if I see that too many banks are creating new loans, and indeed this level is rising, um, um, I, and, and therefore, unless uh, it's more than the level is rising, like if I let all of these go down as at the speed that they are being created, uh, you know, I'm gonna inundate the whole the whole town down there, right? So as a dam, I'm gonna close the gates, uh, or or limit the, like a, I, I limit the amount of water that can be let down, even though at the top they're creating a lot of it, right? Um, it's probably not the best metaphor, um, but uh, <laughs> but 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 the point being is that uh, um, ultimately the central bank have the tools 
to influence the amount of water that, get in that gets in town, whether it's a dam or whatever it is, but it's like, a, it, they can allow not too much water to let in town. It's at the same time, given they operate with interest rate, it means that uh, they're not gonna be the ones, you know, telling the bank, you know, you, you, they, don't have, they don't have a tap in their hands, right? Like uh, the tap is still in the banks, in the commercial banks hands. And so they can, basically say, please, I'm raising interest rates. So it's going to be more expensive to you. But you know, it's, it's up to the banks what they do, right? So, so, what, so what the I idea is that they indirectly influence the creation of new money. When they raise interest rates, they're assuming the banks are going to have a harder time making loans because people will be afraid of the higher interest rate and won't, you know, yeah. they, they won't be as apt to take out and new this, loans. And this typically works well right because ultimately you know those interests are passed on to the consumers and but it has you know, a side effect which is it slows down the economy and uh, then you have higher unemployment so that's why there it, always it, seems to be a trade-off yeah because in that sense it's uh you know they have one instrument right it's one interest rate and you know some of those loans were going to uh, you know ultimately to buying things that uh, were causing inflation. But at the same time, some of their loans were actually going to companies that were themselves investing to uh, supply more or better quality products, right? So in that sense, it's, uh, it's, it's one tool. Like uh, in this case, the dam is, is a good analogy, right? You can either open it or close it, but it, you, you can't say, you know, I want to divert some water uh, to valet on the right versus valet on the left. They don't have that option, right? They can only open and close. So either everything gets more water or everything gets less water. Um, and this is just the way we constructed this system, right? The interest rate, it's, it's, one, it's one interest rate. Um, and, and so that's one of the challenges of, of this system. Um, the other challenge is that uh, while this is relatively you know, you could argue, yeah, it crashes the economy, it definitely it, it reduces growth, but that works, right? Like when you want to reduce inflation, slow down the economy painfully, but we have seen that they are capable of doing that. And to some extent, that is also the value uh, and the credibility, right? If the central bank says, I'm going to stop this, people know and take notice. Uh, the challenge is that after a crash, after a crisis, you know, reducing interest rate is not as effective as increasing it because you know you can reduce interest rate but if everyone is afraid that people are not repaying even at a zero percent interest rate i don't want to lose money right uh, so so the, the the tool of reduction of interest rate which is what the central bank has in their arsenal to to reinvigorate the economy is actually not as effective as opposed if if they were able to actually give money to people not as a loan but like i give them to you like the economy needs more money now take them spend them uh, that is much more effective right of course then you know, you could say, well, but at some point when it's too much, you know, how do you take it away? But it's not that the only way to take away money is, you know, you can raise interest rate and the banks will, you know, give less loan. That's taking away money. Corporate governments can raise taxes. That's taking money away from, from, from the bank accounts of people and that, that's still taking away money. So there's, there's a variety of tools in the system to, to take money away. It's just that they are not all, you know, they're not uh, in in the control of the central bank, right? So this is where I call, of, there's a bit of a problem of governance in the sense that uh, no one has all the tools to manage this problem effectively. 
you know, the central bank doesn't have the tool of taxes, for example, right? Like, uh, but, but uh, taxes is all for the government, but the government uses taxes for fundraising purposes and never thinks about the impact of taxation on inflation, right? So it's really like we have separated uh, and there's value in separation, separating, giving some goals to some and some goals to other. But if there's not enough collaboration and, the, the, and we don't give the right tools to, the right, to, to those that are, uh, you know, that need to do the job, uh, then, then we create a challenge, which I think is what I've tried to explain in, in one of the chapters of the book. This is a lot of ground to cover. And I, I, I want to emphasize that I read your book, Outgrowing Capitalism, and it was easy to follow and easy to understand uh, because I, I took time to digest it. Uh, somebody watching this, I recommend you go out and read his book because it'll make it much more clear to you than my scattershot questions here going in different directions. His presentation is very organized. Uh, there, was, there was another part of this that, that caught my attention on the question of inflation and too much money. When you're talking about the universal basic income, and this should be obvious now because the way people have used their stimulus checks or so-called stimulus checks um, is they're not only buying more stuff and people worry about inflation because if you give everybody more money, people are going to go out and buy more stuff. But what a lot of people actually do is use that money either to pay down debt, which takes money out of the system, or they save the money, which is keeping money in the system. So it's not the fact that just giving money to people is going to create an equivalent amount of demand in the market for consumer goods is that a lot of that money, we don't know how much, maybe you have some better idea now if somebody was studying how money was used in this recent um, government checks going to people, but some of that money would actually be taken out of the system because people are using it for purposes that are beneficial to people who really need it. People need to pay down their debt. There's too much consumer debt out there. People are struggling to pay bills and people would use it to save, which is also making money available for other purposes. You, you put it in the bank, then that bank can loan it as money that's not being created by loans, although they create, they issue it as loans, but it's also that they have higher reserves because of more deposits. Uh, I don't have a question there, <laughs> just I guess, maybe emphasizing that point, did you wanna to add to that or expand upon that? Um, so, I mean, I would say quickly that I, indeed the, um, my, my, I purposefully, um, hire the ghostwriter, which has no idea about economics, because as an expert, it's really difficult to talk in simple terms, right? So, so the book is definitely different than this interview. Um, but on the on the question on uh, on how people are using the money, indeed, it's the thing is to some extent you can predict it, but there's so much you can predict in the economy in general, right? And so this is why in in the book I talk about we need to also move away from this, you know, theory and rationality. If you do that, people do that. Like uh, many of these things, you know, change this year from next year, change from people to people. So it's, I think it's important to see if on average and in general, you know, money and government programs work or doesn't work and what's the impact, but it's much from, from, a, from a managing the economy perspective, it's more be much better to just keep very agile, right? We, we don't know. Uh, we just need to monitor what's happening and all the time have as many tools as possible to have the right, uh, to do the right thing, uh, which, which might be very different depending on, on the moment. And, and indeed, if people, let's assume that people 
most of the money they receive, they repay down debt. Uh, that has no impact at all on, on consumer demand. And then, so in that sense, you would actually try to create more. Uh, on the other hand, if the majority of people or enough people tilted towards consuming um, uh, a certain type of products, which happen to be in short supply because of the global supply chain, you may want to do something specifically to avoid that, right? Uh, but you know, today you can't because if you say um, that there's a shortage in, in one supply chain, uh, you, you can't really do anything from a central bank perspective of anyone that manages the economy to limit the demand of that specific uh, um, product, right? Um, while on the government side, you can do many things. Like uh, to some extent, they have, for example, released some strategic reserves. That's a supply action, but also you can impose temporary taxes on a specific product to really have only the people that really need or like to, to get that, that specific product or at least reduce the overall demand of that specific program because anyway there's no supply otherwise right so so either you let private companies increase the prices as much as they want or you just create yourself a tax and you start collecting money uh, out of this shortage of, of supply uh, so bottom line it's there's so much you can forecast and the economy doesn't always react the, right, the, the same way so it's better to have as many options as possible and and be really having as many data as possible to see what's going on and, and take the right counter countermeasure a big thesis in the book is that it's not just about how to fund programs or how to create a better functioning universal basic income there's also a critique of economics as a profession in how this has undergirded a lot of the dysfunctional uh, systems that we're living with now, questions that occur to anybody with any uh, awareness is, you know, in such a wealthy country, why are there so many poor people or so many struggling people? And this all has to do with questions of how, you know, how the government manages the allocation and uh, creation of money. Uh, and so this is the heart to you, it's the heart of capitalism. Your, your book is called Outgrowing Capitalism because you're presenting a change in the basic functioning of the capitalist system. Even though you're not presenting this as socialism, uh, you have a new word, you've coined monetism. I would say it's more of a mixture of some, what people recognize as capitalist elements and what other people recognize as socialist elements. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with that either, but I could once again ask you, is that pretty accurate? Because we're getting near the end of our show. I wanted to give people yeah. a sense that there's there's a deeper critique in here, which I think is important for ordinary citizens to become aware of. Uh, economics as a profession, maybe I, I should say it this way. Nobody predicted the 2008 financial crisis, although they, they should have, because these things happen periodically in capitalist economies. Yeah. Um... I would say on capitalism and socialism, I think they are now two politically charged terms. So in, in support of neither, but against neither in particular, I, I coined just something which indeed is, you could argue is a bit the mix of the two. But I think it's, it's uh, my hope in general is that we, we just get detached by these labels and ideology, right? There's a lot of opportunities to do things better. And, and so therefore monetism, but monetism is not really a new alternative or a new ideology, right? It's, it's just a combination of different processes and rules that hopefully lead to a better life for everyone. Uh, going back to the economist, right? It was very, I mean, 
I did study a bit of economics, never been an academic. So I, I'm an observer to this, right? But to, to write this book, I've pretty much read, you know, any possible critique and, and various views and various books, right? And it was, and I also got to meet in person and, and, and chat about uh, some of these topics with some of the, some of the academics, right? And it's, it's, it's very interesting how, um, to some extent, you see this, the, the, uh, many disciplines, um, to some extent, protect the previous knowledge and, and beliefs, right? And, and so the more, the more those beliefs and knowledge are based on, for example, physics, you know, people are not protective of the law of thermodynamics, right? If, if anything, like uh, if there are uh, new phenomena and so on that can challenge them, you know, it's curiosity, let's understand them. But to some extent, they're strong enough that everyone knows the laws of thermodynamics are right. You can continuously replicate and, and they're real. Um, the more you move towards social sciences, the more it's up to philosophy, right? And, and to some extent, uh, people can have different opinions. Now, economics being in between this world, what happened is that uh, they try to they try to create something which was as hard and as fact based as as physics and, and other hard sciences. Uh, the challenge is that it is not. And so, when you look at the, and so there's actually two views. I would say some says it's not. You should call it. You know, I'm Thomas Piketty is saying you should call it political economy. There's no such a thing as pure economy without some elements of politics and social sciences and, and society. And I would agree because, with that. Because it, the, the consequences of, of economics decision and, and even the assumptions you put behind it actually have implication of real people and, and lives. So just, just you, you can't do it. Uh, others, and I think it's more the, the Steve Keen of the world says, look, the reality is that physics has moved with much more advanced mathematics, which economists are not using. They're stuck with the mathematics from the 1960s, which are very simple. And therefore their simplistic mathematics forced them not to understand the richness and the complexity of the real system. So if they stepped up and use the sciences and the mathematics that engineers use or that physics uses, then they might be able to produce something better. And I have indeed seen better models from Steve Keynes that I've seen macro models being used by most economists that are mainstream, right? So I think there's a bit of both. But bottom line, it seems to be a very, like there's a lot of research showing economics as a discipline, which is almost building on their initial, uh, you know, beliefs. And it's almost an ideology on its own, which even though many of the assumptions are completely at odds with reality, like uh, you can prove many of these wrong with very simple experiments, they still hang on to those. And, and it's, it's such a big economy, it's such a big uh, disciplines and it seems they have so much power that they can get away with it and but but the reason but the challenge is that well they get away with it but but us society like we we are paying the price for it with whether it's with the crisis that they didn't see coming while many others did see uh whether it's with climate change that it's just an externality and now we are here uh, you know how do we how do you fix it in the next 30 years you know there's a, the consequences we are paying and so if i go back indeed I don't know if we have just put too much faith in economics, but definitely, you know, a lot of people are looking after them on how to organize society and, and how to manage money creation, which ultimately is what leads to what do we do? Like uh, money moves people, people do stuff. What is it that society should be doing? And so that's really at the core of economics. And we have let that 
on a discipline which seems to be as an external view and having read a lot on it it seems completely dysfunctional and so this is a bit of a problem but there are a lot of economists who are challenging the traditional model now and i think that's the hopeful sign is that we're in a position <laughs> well the, the dark side is that we have to do something because we're in a we're just going to have more crises down the road with climate change and economic dysfunction uh, unless we change things but we are at a, a point where people are questioning these things not only the economists but the politicians and ordinary citizens are all asking questions isn't it possible to do better than this it, it must be it has to be and we have to find a way so you've made an important contribution i think to this discussion and again i will encourage people to go out and read your book outgrowing capitalism it's available now i've read it personally i do recommend it <laughs> there's things in there that everybody should be thinking about and talking about thank you very much marco dandi for uh, joining me this morning it's evening there where you are in geneva now you can go have your dinner and i can find my wife and make plans for the rest of our day thanks again thank you alan all right Let's work together.